And once I really dug into it last year, I had started it a, lo- a couple of years ago and put it aside with responsibilities, life, I was going off course, whatever. And then when I picked it up again, I just kept saying, okay. And I truly felt like I was getting downloads that I had to share my stories. I had to share some of what I went through because I thought if it helps even one person own who they are and, and find their authentic voice and dream bigger dreams for themselves, then, then that's what it's about. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, business leader, community activist, author, speaker, CEO, nonprofit director, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal with this show is to show you, the listener, that no matter where you are, no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact wherever God has placed you. My guest this week is Liz Brunner. She is a best-selling author, executive communications coach, motivational speaker, podcast host, and Emmy award-winning journalist. Her television career spanned 28 years and featured so many incredible highlights, along with co-anchoring the number one rated six o'clock newscast on ABC TV in Boston. She's conducted exclusive one-on-one interviews with prominent people known as, you know, President Barack Obama or Oprah Winfrey. And in 2013, she embarked on her next chapter, becoming the CEO and founder of Bruner Communications and launched Bruner Academy in 2020. She is dedicated to helping people find their authentic voice, tell their story, and lead with presence. She's also the host of the Live Your Best Life with Liz Brunner podcast. And I got to be on that show a few weeks ago. You should absolutely go listen to that episode and all of her other incredible episodes. And she just released her book, Dare to Own You, Taking Your Authenticity and Dreams into Your Next Chapter. She's also a classically trained vocal performer and former high school music educator. She is a fascinating human being. We had such an incredible conversation talking about what it looks like to go for your goals, rise above tough times, find peace of mind, to recognize that kind of outsider or imposter syndrome and self-doubt. She is just so real and authentic. I loved her and you are gonna get so much out of this conversation. But before I get to my conversation with Liz, I want to thank our partner of the show, and that is Mama Suds. After a long, cozy winter inside, it is time to bust open the windows, grab your Mama Suds germ cleaner, and get to cleaning. From the windows, to the walls, to floors, upholstery, carpets, toilets, you name it, Mama Suds has a truly safe and effective product to help you clean it. We've personally been using Mama Suds in our home for years. I love their Castile soap, their toilet bombs, their all-purpose cleaner. They're so good, they're safe, and they're effective. Head on over to mamasuds.com and use the coupon code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Oh, and real quick, before we get to my conversation with Liz, we are just a few weeks away from episode 300. 300 of the Business with Purpose podcast. And I would love to feature you. If you could record a brief audio clip on your phone, it can just be in your phone's voice memo recorder and email it to me at hello at stillbeingmolly.com. That's hello at stillbeingmolly.com. And just in a few seconds, would you share maybe how this show has encouraged you, how it has challenged you, a favorite episode or conversation, just something that, uh, how the show has impacted you over the years. I cannot believe we are approaching episode 300 and I am just so grateful to each and every one of you. So again, on your phone's voice memo recorder, all you need to do is just for a few seconds, share how the show has impacted you over the years, a favorite episode or really anything, and email it to me at hello at stillbeingmolly.com and you might be featured in our episode 300. Okay, now onto my conversation with Liz Brunner. I'm so honored to have Liz Brunner here on the show with me today. How are 
are you? I am well. How are you? You look wonderful. Although everybody else watching or listening can't see you, I can see you. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you. Oh my gosh. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to have you here. And I have been uh, reading your latest book, which is, well, first, congratulations, because (laughs) I (laughs) know that you're basically like birthing a book child when you (laughs) write a book. It's called Dare to Own You, Taking Your Authenticity and Dreams into Your Next Chapter. I've been reading it um, over the last week or so, and uh, what a voice you have. And I'm just so excited to get to know you a little bit more and who you are. So let's do the Liz 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are today. Well, you have a glimpse of it because you are reading the book, but I'll give you a Reader's Digest short version. I am a former high school music teacher, classically trained singer. I then left that profession and went into retail. Then I became an award-winning journalist. Then I became an entrepreneur. And people have called me a communications coach now. They've called me a motivational speaker, a podcaster, Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. And now I'm also a best-selling author, my very first book, which you are reading. And I'm so honored that you are reading my book. Thank you. It it is like giving birth to a child. I'm convinced of that. And so, I mean, when I take all of this together, I mean, that's a really short version. But now my vision for my life, both personally and professionally, is I want to continue to teach. I want to continue to motivate. I want to continue to inspire people to live their best life, whatever that is, to help them find their authentic voice and to really own who they are. That's a real shortened version of who Liz Brunner is right now. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I personally love stories like yours because so often we hear stories of people who are successful in a career. I mean, the fact that you're an Emmy award winning journalist is, you know, I would say pretty successful. That would mean you were pretty successful in that job. And (laughs) (laughs) for a lot of people, they might see somebody who has achieved quote unquote success, whatever that looks like in their eyes. Because I feel like success kind of uh, can be defined differently for different people. But I love stories like yours because you have a very roundabout way of how you got into becoming (laughs) a journalist. I mean, going from being a classically trained singer and a high school music teacher to becoming an Emmy award winning journalist doesn't exactly make a lot of sense. And so I would love for you to share how did that path transpire? Because (laughs) on paper, you're like, right, this this makes no sense. But the reason I ask this question is because I think for so many people, they find themselves in one particular field, or maybe they have a degree in something that they actually don't want to do for a living or like, you know, I majored in English, so I can just like do whatever with it. You know what I mean? Um, Exactly. Exactly. It's like, oh, I have an English degree, so it's fine. But you know, for so many people, they feel like they're stuck. And maybe there's something else that they want to do, but they feel like, well, my experience doesn't translate um, when that, that that's actually not true. So tell us how, how that all transpired of how you go from being a high, you know, classically trained singer and high school music teacher to becoming an Emmy award winning journalist. Well, to quote my grandmother, she said, no knowledge is ever wasted dot, dot, dot in the good Lord's sight. <laughs> that's the whole quote. And when you think about it, no knowledge is ever wasted. No experience, good or bad, is ever wasted. It's all knowledge. And when you're able to connect the dots of all of those experiences, you would be amazed at what is transferable. If you put music teacher and singing side by side with Emmy award-winning journalist, thank you very much, (laughs) what am I doing in both of those professions? I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. I'm using my voice. When I was a high school music teacher, I was using my voice singing stories or as a classically trained singer, singing stories. Now, as a journalist, I am speaking stories, but it's all storytelling. It's all using my voice. So there is, believe it or not, a connection there. But a lot of people, to your point, Molly, don't make those transfers. They don't think, oh, well, if I did this, then maybe I can do that. If I did this, maybe I can do that. Because they don't give themselves permission to even think outside the box. 
too many responsibilities in the way. Maybe it's too hard to change careers because of X, Y, or Z. And so when you're able to step back and think about what are those experiences? How can I connect the dots? What is transferable? What are the themes and patterns that run through my life that, wow, maybe I can create a next chapter for myself, which is what I did. So it all kind of comes full circle. And when you think about it, that I started out as a teacher and now as a communications coach, I am teaching again. I've come full circle in many respects. Yes, absolutely. I love how you you distinguish between, you know, almost like categories of uh, work when you're actually looking for the threads. What are the different skill sets that you're using in each and every you know, industry that you might find yourself in. And um, because for for me, that I kind of have a similar story. I and and I it's funny, because yours, while I'm I'm not a journalist, and and I haven't won any Emmys yet. Yet? (laughs) Yeah, I have no idea. Um, You know, I I relate to a lot in your story. I mean, I also grew up uh, singing, I played golf, which is, you know, just very random, but like competitively. But I started out in college, a musical theater major. And I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. Like that was like the dream was I was going to be on SNL. <laughs> and, um, and I <laughs> you was, may still have that who still happened. Don't give up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that they want this like 30 something farm girl, uh, in North know, Carolina. Um, you know what I mean? And so, and then I, you know, I graduated college. I worked in politics for a little bit. Then I was a high school English teacher. Then I like, you know, then there was this recession thing and I ended up being a, a food runner at a bar, you know, I worked at a an art gallery and I like I worked at a radio station. And I think back like on all these random jobs over the years that have led me to where I am now as, you know, I I speak and I host a podcast and I write and I think about the the skills that I've been able to acquire uh just from all of those other jobs. And you know, I I don't really have an issue with uh, stage fright or thinking on my feet, because if you teach uh, high schoolers, as you know, that is uh, a requirement. <laughs> you have to be able to think on your feet. You have, to yeah, be able to think on, you have to be able to think on your feet and you have to be able to say, uh, you know, respond to potentially inappropriate comments from 10th grade boys. Um, so <laughs> it's just oh you got to really shut it down real quick um, in any event. But, you know, you look, you think about the skills that you have there. If anybody's, I mean, you worked in retail. If you work in a, I worked in retail at one point too. If you work in a service-based industry, oh heavens, on just how to deal with people in general, how to sales, sales, how to have a conversation with somebody. Um, You know, so there's like all these different skill sets that you gain along the way that eventually lead you to where you begin to figure out what starts to really make you come alive and what you're like, oh, this is what I was created to do. So I'm curious, what was it that led you to pursue journalism? And was that something that in the back of your mind, you'd always (laughs) wanted to do? I mean, how did that opportunity even come about? (laughs) No. When I was teaching high school choral music, and I did so for two years, And I just felt like there was something more I was supposed to do. I had absolutely no clue, Molly, what that was. And at that time, I was reading all kinds of of books on, you know, careers, and I was taking all kinds of tests. Of course, the internet really wasn't that big back then. I mean, we're talking, I'm going back a few decades here. And what was interesting was that I would take all these assessments and I thought, oh, maybe I'll be an architect or maybe I'll be a psychologist or or maybe I wasn't even sure what I wanted to do. And I was reading a book called Who's Hiring Who by Richard Lathrop. And he talked about informational interviews. I'd never heard of such a thing. And so I left the teaching profession, worked in retail to pay the bills and was doing all these tests and reading books. And when I got to his book and I heard about informational interviews, I remembered that when I was Miss Illinois, 1979, in the Miss America pageant, a scholarship <laughs> pageant, mind you, I love I did it. sing for my talent, that I had done one television commercial. It was for the Pontiac Grand Prix, which was my favorite car at the time. And I actually got to fi- drive four different uh, Pontiac Grand Prix when I was Miss Illinois. And I thought, I wonder if I could do something in television, maybe, maybe public relations. I really didn't know. 
I bravely and blindly called up the two television stations that were in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, which was where I was living at the time, and simply went on informational interviews. I didn't even know who to ask for, Molly. But I said, I'm interested in getting into the industry. I don't know if what I think I want to do exists. I don't know if I need to go back to college and get another degree. I don't even know anything. And I was very fortunate that I got interviews at both stations. But then the CBS affiliate continued the conversation and back and forth for about six months till finally a position was literally created for me. Wow. And it was basically, I was the community relations liaison. <laughs> and I, and it, my, my job was to help all of our on-air talent with their speaking engagements and connecting them and and also then writing public service announcements, which I didn't know how to do. Then they wanted me to voice these announcements in the sound booth. I didn't know how to do that. And then one thing led to another to where I had my own little morning talk show. Didn't know how to do that. Then I also was asked to be one of the three women to do the weather. Do the weather. I love it. And so I went to the University of Illinois, started taking some meteorology courses, and I would, I would watch the weather channel before I went in <laughs> to do my, my job. And I learned everything on the job. It was, it was as if I had my own graduate school. Wow. And one thing led to another. I was there for three years. And then I got called to Tampa, Florida, which was another CBS station at the time. And then again, I, I came in to be the director of community relations. And within a very short period of time, they wanted me on the air. And I became the morning anchor. And I was wearing two hats. And what I mean by that is I was working 80 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I'd get up at 2 a.m. I was at work at 3 a.m. We were on the air at 5 a.m. And then after the morning meeting at 9.30 in the news department, I'd go upstairs and put my manager's hat on. I'd work all day doing that. And then I'd go out into the community and do speaking engagements. I'd come home at nine o'clock and go to bed and turn around and do it all over again. Mm. And I was there for five years. And again, learning so much on the job and so much experience there. And then I got called, uh, my agent said, there's this, there's this news magazine show called Chronicle in Boston. And I'd always felt some connection to Boston, which I write about in the book, yes. as you probably know. Yeah. And so when I, I got here, I just felt like this was the right place for me to be. And again, I had a sign on my back that must say, please give me two jobs because within a year after being on Chronicle, the news department also tapped me. And so I was wearing two hats again, both in the Chronicle department and in news department. Finally, eventually they, they got me out of Chronicle, which I adored being on Chronicle, but I had to move one direction or another. And so I went into news and I was on the air in Boston for 20 years. So cumulatively 28 years in the industry. And I feel very, very blessed and fortunate to have had that career. Wow. I think stories like yours are so encouraging of just this little by little. It's not like you got hired at first, you know, you were just boom, you get hired, you know, and you're on air and you're living the dream. It's like you start off and you're just kind of probably getting coffee for people. And you're just, well, you know, I didn't know anything, Molly. I didn't know anything. And anytime they asked me to do something, I'd say, sure. Yes. Yeah. And I'd go home and freak out and go, what the heck did I just say yes to? I have no clue how to do that. Yeah. But you know what? I trusted myself that I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to figure it out. I may fail. I may flop. And I did many times, but I learned. None of those are failures. Those are all just lessons in, in learning. Yeah. That is a lesson that I keep trying to... <laughs> As do we all. <laughs> yes. Instill in myself. But I, I mean, I'm a, a mom to young kids. And, um, you know, my daughter is eight and a half. My son is six. And my daughter especially is one who I can tell... Uh, takes after her father in that she has to do things perfectly the first time. <laughs> and um, and th her father like does everything perfectly the first time. And it's very frustrating. I'm just kidding. Not, not I would totally, say that's probably very annoying. He's like very, very smart. And he just does everything well. And I'm just like, ah, <laughs> uh, but my daughter, you know, I can see in her, her eyes and I can see in her face sometimes when she does something and she doesn't know it right away, or she doesn't learn it right away, or if she makes a mistake, you know, she'll often try to, I, I see these things where she'll just be like, oh, I failed, or I did that, but you know, I, I messed it up. And I'm trying to remind her, I know it breaks my heart every time. And I'm just like, honey, no, like, if you don't make mistakes, then how else will you learn? Like, if you do everything r perfect right away, then how, how do you improve? How do you get better? And that is so hard 
that's a difficult lesson for an adult to learn, let alone an eight-year-old. Well, my quote on that is that sometimes being imperfect is more perfect Mm. because you're being your best authentic self. None of us is perfect. Mm -hmm. No one. And so if we allow ourselves that imperfection, we can truly become more authentic and own who we are. It's a hard lesson to learn. Believe me, I know. I can speak from my own experience of, you know, trying to be such an important, you know, strong anchor and do it right, especially when I didn't have the big J on my chest, like the rest of my colleagues. And many resented me. Many did not look at me and think, oh, well, she's really good. No, I mean, it was not easy, Molly. Mm -hmm. It was not easy because I had a music background. I had a music degree. I didn't even have a journalism degree. I didn't have a communications degree. I didn't even have an English degree. I didn't have a history degree, yeah. which typically are some of the backgrounds that a lot of people who are in this industry have. Yeah. Was there a particular moment when you were you know, in Boston and you're really kind of finding that groove where you thought to yourself this is what I was created to do. Like, this is where my skill set shines. This is where I am really finding that this is the thing that I wake up in the morning and I'm so excited that I get to do this for a living. I'm not going to say I didn't have those feelings when I was on the air and working in journalism and writing and sharing stories and really fortunate to have had amazing interviews, exclusive interviews, you know, with presidents and world leaders and things like that. Those are all incredible moments. But to be truthful, it's now. Wow. I love that. Now that I can honest and truly say I am doing my purpose and what I was meant to do in this world. That's really where what was the moment that you realized that? What in particular made it feel different? I don't know if there was one moment in particular. But for me, as I began to start working with clients, and believe me, I never wanted to own my own business. This is not something like, oh, I can't wait till I start my own business. No, <laughs> I just felt like it was the next next evolution, the next chapter for me to take all of this experience to, to share with people the skills and tips and techniques that I had honed and the things that I believed I've been blessed with from birth. And how can I now share that with people and help other people grow and learn and become their best selves? And when I started working with clients one-on-one and doing workshops, what I noticed was I would often see the transition or the growth in them before they saw it. But when they saw it, Molly, it was the best feeling in the world Mm. to know that whatever work we did, now they did the hard work. But whatever we worked on together that stuck, that they really started to implement and they started to own and they started to gain confidence and presence and command and and deliver their speeches and their presentations and their pitch in such a way that they were having more success, that was the icing on the cake. It was the best feeling in the world. Still is. It (laughs) reminds me of so many conversations I have with people who, when they start to, to think of their whether it's their career or whatever, I guess, kind of pursuit that they're taking is when they have a servant-hearted focus, when they are no longer looking inward at my success, my, you know, notoriety, whatever the case may be, whatever the thing is, and they look outward of how can I use my skills to impact others? How can I use my gifts to uplift and encourage someone else? How can I elevate the next person behind me? And how that, when we take the focus off ourselves, and I mean, I obviously come from, um, you know, a, a faith perspective. And so that's, that's a really big part of my life. And I just think about how that's what we were created for was to elevate others and to serve others and to use the gifts that we had been given in order to be a faithful steward of God's grace and to serve others with it. And when you do that, when you figure out how to elevate somebody else, 
and have a servant-hearted focus, that is where you feel most alive, if that makes sense, because that's what you were created for. A hundred percent. And certainly when I was getting ready to leave the industry and it still wasn't public knowledge and I was quietly and confidentially cleaning out my office, (laughs) going through all the tapes on my shelf, I found a tape from a woman. It was a resume tape from her that she had sent to me several years before. And she was currently at my station, WCVB Channel 5, as a reporter. But she had sent this to me years before asking me to look at it. She was living in Florida at the time. She was a reporter at a TV station there. And she really desperately wanted to come back to Boston to be at home. And would I look at her tape and give her some feedback? And I always loved helping other people with their reels, whether they were interns or people said to me, can you look at my reel and give me some suggestions? I'm like, sure, I'd be happy to. And when I was cleaning out my office, I'd forgotten that I even still had that tape. When I opened up the box and I saw the tape, I found my three-page written, single-spaced critique feedback that I had sent her. I must have made a copy and kept it in the tape. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, I've already been doing this. I've already been doing this. So it did help take some of the trepidation away because I kept saying, is this what I'm really supposed to do, God? Am, yeah. I, am I really supposed to do this? Because yep. I was petrified. I felt like I was jumping off of a cliff yeah. and hoping there'd be a parachute. I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know how all this was going to work. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. I am doing, I've been doing it. I'm just taking it to the next level. Yeah. Oh man. I think that's such an incredible uh, way of looking at it. And I think it's such an encouragement to so many people who maybe have felt that push or that pull in that direction. And maybe that's just like the little extra, the little extra nudge that they needed. Oh, I needed it. And trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a chapter in the book that I would love for you to um, just kind of talk about because I think it is, I mean, obviously it's it's unique to your story in particular, but I think there's a lot of people that can relate to this. And um, it's the chapter that you talk about on identity and where that was something that you had struggled with for a while. And it was this this idea of for a while you you struggled with the identity that maybe other people were placing on you or questioning your identity or whatever it was and how you began to really own and embrace that. Um, So I'd love for you to just kind of talk about that because that chapter in particular um, was really just a powerful chapter. And I think is something that a lot of people struggle with, whether it, you know, it's identity in family and their cultural heritage and things like that, or their identity through their work or whatever, however that kind of plays out. Um, would you talk with us about that a little bit? I'd be happy to. Thank you for asking that question, Molly. I think the chapter you're referring to is where I talk about that I'm a mosaic. <laughs> yes, yes. And what I mean by that is I am a blend of many different nationalities. My mother is from India. And then the rest of me is sort of this melting pot of, you know, a little German, a little French, a little Spanish, a little Scottish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) And growing up in the islands of Hawaii, I obviously was out in the sun a lot. And with my mother's um, skin tone, tanned very easily. So I was always a very dark brown little girl. And I had back then, I don't know what was going on with my hair. It's all of a sudden straight, but I used to have, <laughs> I used to have curly hair and I always wanted straight. And now I'm like, why can't I have it back to curly? I digress. <laughs> anyway. So, so when we moved at the age of 10 to Lily White Peak in Illinois, I was called a Hawaiian and I would come home crying, not knowing what in the world that meant. Why were people being so mean to me? Because Peak in Illinois at that time was a very, very white community. Mm -hmm. And here we were, these little brown children running around. And so it was very hard from that perspective. Then in addition to that, when I was older and was in my first television job, for example, I went bounding up to the, the front lobby desk one day and the receptionist said, well, let's just ask her. And I said, ask me what? And she said, we have a caller on the line who wants to know if you're white or black. What do you want us to tell them? Mm. I said, seriously? 
She said, yes, what would you like us to tell them? I said, tell them I'm an American. Mm. That was my response. When I was in Tampa, which was my second television station, the African-Americans thought I was Black, the Hispanics thought I was Spanish, the Cubans thought I was Cuban, I was everybody's friend, Yeah. (laughs) right? Yeah. And then when I moved to Boston, I later learned that they actually thought they had hired a light-skinned Black woman, Mm. and I had replaced an African-American woman. Now, I don't share these experiences with you to say that mine were so traumatic compared to what many, many more people have experienced in their lifetime. But it did affect me in how I thought about myself. And I had a lot of feelings of lack of self-confidence, lack of self-worth, lack of self-value. I had a lot of imposter syndrome and outsider syndrome. Mm -hmm. So outsider syndrome is really all about the feelings of acceptance and imposter syndrome is the inner feeling of self-doubt. And I experienced all of those things. And I questioned myself all along the way. And then women were really, really, really hard with me. Mm. They, I was not treated well. I was bullied. I was just remembering, and, and I forgot this story to put into the book, actually. I was in junior high, and there was a, a, a young woman who slammed me up against the lockers, threw my books down on the floor. And I remember she was just screaming at me all kinds of things. And I just stood there and looked at her Mm. and I wasn't going to fight back. But all of those things, Molly, shaped who I am and how I thought about myself and the whole question of my identity and ethnicity. I just find it humorous today because I'm like, I'm just Liz, (laughs) you know, I'm a melting pot. I'm an American, just like so many of us today in this country. Yeah. And I'm proud of that background. And if you read the book, and I hope a lot of people will, I share a lot of my family's cultural background and history because it's pretty, pretty deep. And I remember the day that I was putting all of that in there because on one side of the family tree, we can trace back to when one of the 12 families was converted to Christianity in India. Okay, we're going way back. Yeah. And then the ancestry of coming over on the Mayflower to the Boston area, which I'm convinced now is why I have had this connection, this <laughs> vibration and energy yeah. to Boston. But I remember the day that I was writing that down and putting it into the book. And I, I got up and thought, God, why? Why do I feel so compelled to share this history? Is anybody going to care? It's like somebody saying, let me show you my family vacation pictures. And I walked over to the Charles River and I was sobbing as I was walking over to the river and I looked up and I said, why, why do I need to do this? And this is what I heard in my head and what I felt because so often we place an expectation on ourselves consciously or unconsciously to live up to something, whether it's a cultural heritage, a family history, a parent who says, I expect you to be a doctor. I expect you to be a lawyer. I expect you to be a partner, whatever. And we place this unconscious expectation, sometimes it's conscious, on ourselves. And how does that hold us back? Mm. Now, no one in my family ever said, you need to be a doctor because we have so many doctors in our family, or you need to be a minister. We had many of those. But I felt the weight. I felt the weight of my ancestors on me. And I didn't even realize it till that moment, that day, when I was walking over to the river. Mm. One, thank you for sharing that story. Um, I know like it's it's such a personal um, piece of you, but that I just think it's so important to have these discussions and to hear these stories because it's, you know, there are so many people who have had stories that are similar to that. And I really love what you said about that expectation portion and how often we place like you said, consciously or unconsciously expectations on ourselves that begin to define our identity of, you know, how do we, are we insert whatever it is enough? (laughs) Am I woman enough? Am I man enough? Am I black enough? Am I white enough? Am I, you know, Indian enough? Am I whatever it is? Like, am I insert whatever the thing is enough based on the expectations that other people have knowingly or unknowingly placed on ourselves? And it actually reminds me of a conversation I I literally had this conversation um, in my Bible study last week 
And uh, I, I love my little group of women that I, I have this Bible study with because I'm the youngest by far. Um, most of the <laughs> women are retired. and But I love it because I love listening to the saints of the faith. Um, I think I, I love learning from older women. And one of them was actually sharing how she had been in this kind of mentorship group with a group of uh, college women. And on one of the first meetings that they'd had in this mentorship group, she was asking these women, you know, here you are, you're freshmen in college, you're beginning to, uh, you know, learn what it's like to be an adult. You're out on your own. You're, you can make your own choices. You're away from home. There's, you know, the person that you're most accountable to at this point is you, <laughs> you know, what are the things that you're learning that you're struggling? And she said, one of the things that was really interesting was, and this was not that long ago, was almost every single young woman in that room talked about the expectations that they felt like they could not live up to. And they talked about the expectations that their parents had placed on them, the expectations that society had placed on them, the expectations that magazines had placed on them, that media, that, uh, you know, their professors, coaches, whatever it is, all these expectations, and that they felt like they were struggling to live up to those expectations. And she said, one, she, the the woman in my Bible says, she said, I, I was struck by how wise these young women were to recognize that so early, <laughs> which I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's just recognizing it is huge, huge right there. That's huge, huge. And, but she said, you know, but then it was like almost a reminder to me. And it, and I, in turn, it was a reminder to me, like, and I came home that night and I sat down with my eight-year-old and I said, honey, what do you think mommy expects of you? Wow. And I just question for an eight year old. I know. I was just curious. I was like, she's the kind of kid who like she can handle a question like that. I realize not a lot of eight year olds can, but I, I, I knew she could handle a question like that. And I was curious, like, what was her answer? And she named some things. And I just said, honey, I want you to know that I have two expectations of you. And that's it. I said, love God, love others. Anything beyond that (laughs) is, you know, I want, yes, I want you to try your best in school, of course, but like, I don't care if you're the top of your class. I don't care if you're the best athlete or the best singer or whatever it is. You know, when you're 25, no one's going to be like, how did you do on that unit five math test in second grade? (laughs) In fourth grade. (laughs) Yeah. Like nobody, no one is going to care. No one is going to care. But if you're 25 and you're a jerk and you don't know how to be kind to other people and you're a bully then I've failed. I've failed. And I realized I can't control my children. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do other things. But I just, it was this reminder to me that I have an opportunity to set my daughter up for success so that she does not go into the world with all of these other expectations that have been placed on her. Anyway, that was a really like long-winded response to what you were saying. But I just, I, I, it was the perfect reminder that we have to let go of all those expectations that everybody else has placed on us. And it's so hard because we are bombarded to your point. We are bombarded Molly from every angle that in our world, unless we live in a cave or in a bubble, we've been living in a bubble for a while, but you know, it, it really is interesting to see how all of that can manifest itself. Yeah. And it's only now, you know, at this age of my life that I'm able to look back at some of those things and really connect those dots of how all of that truly shaped me to, you know, for a long time, am I enough? Am I enough? And we may not ask that question out loud consciously, but it is in our brains. And I'm so pleased to hear that in your Bible study group, that this was a topic of discussion and that these young women were recognizing, whoa, wait a minute. I, I do f- have these feelings of, I'm, am I living up to some expectation of myself, of my husband, of my family, of my whatever? We, always, we often ask ourselves those questions unconsciously, and it brings us down because we feel like we're not enough and we're not living up to some expectation. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is a challenge. It's a constant um, you know, battle and Oh man, there's so much I could say about it, but we would be here. We would be here all day. Um, all day. I but know. you know, Molly, that's yeah. one of the reasons why I, I felt so compelled to write this book. And it's it's interesting because people are always so curious. Why did you want to write this book? And how long did it take you? And blah, 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 blah. 
And once I really dug into it last year, I had started it a, lo- a couple of years ago and put it aside with responsibilities, life, I was going off course, whatever. And then when I picked it up again, I just kept saying, okay. And I truly felt like I was getting downloads that I had to share my stories. I had to share some of what I went through because I thought if it helps even one person right. own who they are and, and find their authentic voice and dream bigger dreams for themselves, then, then that's what it's about. That's what it's about. Absolutely. Well, obviously for the listeners, I'm going to make sure to have all of, you know, where you can buy the book. I think everybody should go buy it right now. You can buy it on Amazon, wherever you get, you know, wherever you get your books. Um, please go buy this book. Uh, I, Liz's story again is just, um, incredibly inspirational and just somebody that, uh, I feel like we can, we can glean so much from you. Um, but before we get to the get to know you round, Liz, um, what is on the horizon for you this year? How can people best connect with you? You know, if somebody's oh. like, I would love to work with her. I just want to get to know her and be her friend because she seems oh. like somebody who would be a great friend. How can they best do that? Thank you very much for asking that question. Well, very easy. You can find me at lizbruner.com. That's L-I-Z-B-R-U-N-N-E-R.com, lizbruner.com. And certainly reach out to me via my website. And also, you know, check out bruneracademy.com, which is my online learning platform where I have a number of speaking courses, but in particular, my flagship course, which is called How to Be a Rockstar Public Speaker. <laughs> and so there are a couple of different options there. And also recently added four new courses that we're calling the DARE Collection. They're not based on my book, Dare to Own You, but they do align with the book. One is Dare to Go for Your Goals, Dare to Rise Above Tough Times, Dare to Shift from procrastination to motivation and dare to find peace of mind, which is really a mindfulness, easy meditation course. They're all simple courses. You can find them at BrunerAcademy.com. And I would love for people to listen to my podcast, which is called Live Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. And I'm on all the major directories, as are you. And it really is about people who've made these transitions in their lives, whether they've gone from one chapter to the next, whether they've risen above and transforming their lives in some way. And I have amazing guests, as do you on your show. And I'm honored to be one of them. So thank you for having me. But those are all the ways that people can connect with me. And of course, please follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. (laughs) You know, I mean, all, you know, your publicists and your PR people are like, you know, get more followers, get more followers. So please follow me. I would really love it (laughs) if people would follow me. (laughs) Yes. Well, I will definitely have all of those links in the show notes. Uh, So listeners, you guys, you you know what to do. (laughs) I will um, make sure to include all of that for you. So Liz, now... Now is the portion of the show where we just ask some fun get to know you questions. Oh, dear. Um, So are you ready for the get to know you round? Okay, I'm ready. All right. Question number one. Now, I had to ask this question because since you got to interview so many incredible people over the years, whether it's on your podcast or as a journalist, is there one or maybe two interviews in particular where you just were very cool and collected on the outside, but on the inside, you were kind of like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah, many times, but probably the one that is is the most prominent in that sort of description that you just gave was I'd been trying to get an interview with President Barack Obama for four years. Oh, wow. Talk about perseverance. And I finally got it. And here I am thinking, I'm at the White House. I'm interviewing President Obama and I am petrified. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, okay, Liz, wait a minute. He's a human being just like you are, number one. Number two, this is an experience that very few people have an opportunity to get. Try to find a way to just be in the moment, be fully present and enjoy it, even though the insides of me were going, you know, like this. (laughs) And then the other thing was, I thought, how can I possibly connect with this man on a level that would be interesting? And so I... When I first greeted him, now he was raised in Hawaii. Yeah. As was I. He was actually born in Hawaii and I was raised in the islands. So when he walked in the door, he said, hi, Liz. And I said, hello, Mr. President, or should I say aloha? And so that was the opening. And it really kind of just set the tone for the interview. And of course, then I only had however many minutes with him. I had to ask all my questions. And then I saved one question for the very end because I thought if I ask it before now, what if, what if all his PR people say, gun, done, you can't answer that question. So I said to him, this is my last question, Mr. President, you are the president of the United States and you are the father of two teenage daughters. Which is harder, 
being president or being a father. And he just <laughs> laughed and he said, oh, you know, I have two great girls and blah, 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 yeah. blah. So that was a great experience. But man, was I scared to death. Yes. yes. Oh, my yes. gosh. I Yeah, absolutely. I would probably 100% be just <laughs> like that. Too. I would just be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm very very, this is just a normal day. Um, I'll tell a funny, quick, just side story. I didn't get to interview her, but I did get to meet uh, Queen Elizabeth um, <gasps> in 2007 when I was student body president at my oh, university. Splendid, darling. Splendid. Splendid, darling. <laughs> um, it was when she was doing, she had traveled to the U.S. and she was doing a tour in Virginia um, in celebration of whatever anniversary of the settlement of Jamestown. And so she, it was her first time to that part of, I think it was her first time to the U S in a long time. And in any event to welcome her, they had invited all of the student body presidents from all the public universities in Virginia to welcome her. And since I was student body president, I got to welcome her. And so I got, you know, a few minutes with her and I had this whole like thing planned out in my head of what I was going to ask and what I was going to say. And it, cause like there, there's like the whole Royal protocol oh, of how I was going to say, did you curtsy? And oh yes. You have to curtsy. Oh, like yes. you don't, you, you can't put your hand out unless she puts her hand. I mean, it was oh, a lot. Very specific rules. Yes. Very <laughs> specific that I had no idea. And, um, and I, but I had this like whole thing in my mind of what I was going to ask her, what I was going to say. And thing in the end, I just like completely flummoxed it all. Like it just was all like, oh. <laughs> anyway, but so you I, still, you still have that experience to fall back on and remember and what a, what a joy I that do, must have been. I do. I have a picture of it and it was, oh. um, yeah, it was pretty fun. Amazing. So I, and I'm very clearly like, this picture. So I was just like, well, it's okay. I mean, how many people can say that they've met the queen? So I thought it was pretty, pretty fun. Exactly. 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 Um, okay. Question number two is what is your current guilty pleasure? Ooh. Oh, let's see. Well, I've been really working out hard lately. Oh, nice. A little bit of weight over Christmas. Uh, my guilty pleasure. I do like chocolate candy mm. and I like cupcakes. Big but fan I of cupcakes. I love cupcakes. And I don't know why cupcakes over pie or ice cream or regular cake. But they're the delicious. I, yeah. I, I cupcakes and chocolate candy, I guess, are my guilty pleasures, which I'm not really imbibing in right now, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Are you a big reader? And if so, uh, do you have a favorite book that you have read in the last year just for fun? Oh my gosh. I probably read a book a weekend, Molly, because of a lot of my podcast guests are, are either new authors or have had a you know, four or fifth book out or whatever yeah. it is. So I'm always, almost every weekend I read a, a completely new book. And so it's been a while since I've read one quote unquote for pleasure, but I've just been invited to be a host of a table for this reading program in the Boston area. And it's their annual gala. And they asked me the question recently of what was my favorite childhood book. And I actually downloaded it just two days ago because I want to reread it. It was A Wrinkle in Time by oh, Madeline Langle. Yes. And I, I distinctly remember that that was my absolute favorite book. I don't remember why. I and mean, we're going back 50 plus years now. Yeah. But I remember reading it with my grandmother. She was the one who introduced it to me. And so when they asked me that question, I said, you know what? I'm going to download that book and I am going to read it again before this event because it was such a vivid memory as a child. So that's what I'm going to read next. I can't remember what I've read in the last year. That's just been for pleasure. No, I but love I'm it. Read that one. I love it. I love getting, I'm now getting to that point where I'm starting to read some of my favorite childhood chapter books with my daughter and oh, introduce those to her. And so that's been really fun. I was, I mean, I was a child of the eighties, so I was really big into American girl dolls. And so I like introducing my daughter to all the American girl doll books has been so much fun. <laughs> That is a blast. That's oh, lovely. So much fun. So much fun. Okay. And I know obviously you're a big music person because, you know, hence you, you know, studied music and all of that. What is on your current most played playlist on whatever music oh, platform? Anything you by to? John, John Legend for oh. one. <laughs> a big John Legend fan. Best. I've met him at a number of times now and have been to a few of his concerts. And I just, I just enjoy his music so much. He's really so do. good. He's so good. Yes. I mean, you just, the voice, you just like, yes. Oh, Sing it to me, John. Yes. 
Uh, exactly. <laughs> I would melt if you were literally singing to only me. I know. I, know. I love okay. it. Um, okay. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, uh, Liz, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? Mm. Well, my whole vision for my life, as I said earlier, is to teach, motivate, and inspire people to live their best life. And I mean that on a professional level, and I mean that on a personal level. And to be able to have my company, Brunner Communications, now eight plus years, it'll be nine years in October of 2022. The fact that I even have this business and still have it, having never, ever wanted to run my own business and have had it be successful and worked very hard to keep yeah. it that way. And of course, pivoted like everybody did because of the pandemic. Yeah. And to see it grow, I just feel like I know from the testimonials I get from my clients and workshop participants and people now who I'm just so honored who are saying to me, I love your book and here's what I learned from it. That is living my life with purpose. If I can help anyone find a way for them to own more of who they are, to love themselves for who they are, to find their authentic voice, to make those dreams come true whether they create a next chapter with it or not, whatever it is to live their best life, then that's what I'm here to do. Thank you so much, Liz. This has been such an honor to have you. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Molly, for having me on your show. I'm honored and I'm deeply touched that we actually connected. So thank you. I love Liz. Oh, this was such a good conversation. It was just a really timely conversation for me and one that I know I'm going to be thinking about for quite some time. Be sure to tune in next week where my guest is Dr. John Deloney. And he is, you might know him as a Ramsey personality. He has a new book out. We had such a fun conversation. He is just, I mean, he's, he's like a professional host. So this, this is his, this is what he does. It was so much fun. We talk all about kind of owning our pasts and how that can change our future. We even talked about chickens. We talked about all the things you are going to love that episode. And don't forget, if you want to be featured in episode 300, send us a voice memo, just record it on your phone to hello at stillbeingmolly.com. Thank you so much for listening. I would love to know what you loved about this particular episode. Let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. And don't forget the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast. Be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, or wherever you listen and click the subscribe or follow button to help make sure that you never miss a new episode of the show. And while you're there, would you take a moment to leave a review? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how this show is personally impacting you. This show is produced by the incredible team at Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>